It's the Loose Filter Podcast, and I am your host, Stuart Sims. And Anthony Campolo. And this week, we are going to talk about more music we like. Probably a shorter episode for you, but we just wanted to uh, uh, sit down and share some of what we have been listening to and enjoying or uh, have been thinking about in some way just lately. Kind of a random list. Yeah, mostly new tracks, but uh, a couple older ones as well. Yeah, we have some new Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Obviously, they Michael Jackson on the playlist. It's uh, older stuff, but uh, but but yeah, I, I don't know that there's anything that I can see that uh, particularly connects this music in a programmatic sense or a stylistic sense. Uh, I guess it shows how eclectic our listening habits maybe really are. But the first one I wanted to mention, if uh, uh, those of y'all who are listening haven't heard it, is uh, Janelle Monet's latest album. She's an artist we've mentioned on the podcast before. She's really interesting. But her latest album, Dirty Computer, <clears throat> which I think is, has some great music on it, and it is uh, like socially and thematically very uh, kind of woke and timely. But it's uh, she describes it as an homage to women and the spectrum of sexual identities, uh, which obviously is a very timely sort of topic for an artist to explore in any medium. And I do think we have a bit of a pattern with some of our tracks here. They combine a lot of different kinds of popular African-American music, like soul and R&B and funk and hip-hop, and kind of smushing them all together into this new type of you know music that's influenced by all of it and janelle monet does that really well absolutely maybe as well as any living specifically african-american artist self-consciously working in that musical group of musical traditions um she takes that melange or that gumbo and boy yeah and that's one of the things i like best about this album actually she continues to hone that thing you just like pointed out about her particularly yeah, it's like she's getting at the the er text of all this stuff. <laughs> well, and she she has collaborated and been mentored by major figures, uh, uh, certainly most prominent uh, among them Prince, with whom uh, she was working on this album when he passed away and uh, was part of the reason for the delay. Of course, she was in a couple uh at least one Oscar movies, winning yeah. movie, but with major movie roles and things like that. Busy taking over the world. Yeah, and performing with like San Francisco Symphony doing, I mean, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, uh, this is the first album of hers that's not part of her Metropolis meta-narrative, uh, which features an android character that she called Cindy Mayweather. Afrofuturist. Yeah, it was very Afrofuturist. And what's fascinating to me is kind of there's a connection, if I could do the real uh, nerdy academic tangent here. Metropolis, the name, evokes the really famous film by Fritz, Fritz Lang. Uh-huh. And Afrofuturism, I've always felt, was a late 20th century uh, echo of Art Deco uh, uh, or uh, uh, Art Nouveau design. Yeah, hyper-modernist. Yeah, yeah, like it was a reinvention of early 20th century modernism by black Americans in that sense. Yeah, and juxtaposing it with what we would think of as a more primitive culture and saying, no, these can map to each other. That's what Black Panther does. Exactly, exactly. And uh, it's it's fascinating to see that really break through after like three decades into kind of mass consciousness as, as an artistic perspective. Well, and even longer if you think of Sun Ra. Like in the 50s. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The really pioneering work. 
uh, that goes, boy, there's probably a whole other episode we ought to map out. Uh, yeah, now that about I'm that, thinking about that tangent. And it's connection to German expressionist uh, art and like the Gebrauchs music and stuff that uh, uh, Kurt Weill, Bertolt Brecht were trying to do, Fritz Lang, where they were trying to make cinema that was, you know, all their art that was that was like really, you know, sophisticated and kind of high total art. Total art also, type idea. Yeah, also accessible by everyone and had a message that was uh, valuable to lots of different folks. But um, uh, that connection is fascinating. But she says, uh, Monet has said that this album is a step into a more authentic self, which rings true to me. I mean, she's leaving behind a character and that Android character, obviously, I think that persona seemed kind of defensive to me. She wanted to play with identity. And I think she's getting in a safe space, she's getting a out of space. Yeah. So now she's getting out of like putting it into a fictional kind of context and just writing songs about her own identity. Yeah, and it's if you think about her specific cultural context as a black woman in the United States, of Bisexual course. Bisexual too. Yeah. Uh uh that's a maybe a community that is still struggling with LGBT acceptance a little more than where the mainstream is. So it's a brave move, I think, for her. But um that Android persona always felt like not just allegory, but a little bit of a shield, right? From kind of a harsh world. But it's nice to see her. I think it's great to see her feel confident and comfortable enough to, I think, be more present uh, in her work in that way. But this album, Dirty Computer, presents its own thematic narrative in three parts, Reckoning, Celebration, and Reclamation. And you can infer a lot of... Uh, yeah, that, spiritual, religious, Spiritual, all personal, religious kind of sorts of struggles that uh, that sort of cast. But uh, I just want to share with that, after that preamble, uh, three tracks here that that uh, I don't know if they're the best on the album, but they're the ones that that are kind of among my favorite. The first one is "Make Me Feel," and this groove, when you hear it immediately, probably will evoke uh, her mentor Prince here. But let me just give you like the first minute or so of this track, and uh, we'll talk about it after that. This is "Make Me Feel," Janelle Monae. Yeah. Baby, don't make me spell it out for ya All of the feelings that I got for ya Can't be explained, but I can try for ya Yeah, baby, don't make me spell it out for ya You keep on asking me the same questions And second-guessing all my intentions Should know by the way I use my compression that you got the answers to my confessions It's like I'm powerful with a little bit of tender An emotional sexual bender Mess me up, yeah, but no one does it better There's nothing better That's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make me feel Very Prince but what I also the like the synth groove is actually Prince wrote that bit. So this is they this was they were working directly on this track before he passed away. But what I love is before that synth kicks in, what I was hearing and thinking is the the tongue clicks like a drop it like it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of Neptune Brothers uh-huh. saw sprinkled on top of there. Uh, yeah, what a great track, right? It's just so like it's so sexy. It's that thing Prince could do in all of his music that's a little bit. Uh, well, I guess all music's uh, ineffable. Ultimately, that's why we music about it. Yeah, it's dramatic. Of, it's he says on the podcast where they talk about music, but 
<laughs> um, he just has a larger than life yeah. way he makes his art, right? And and just just that feel that the the chorus when it hits is just this line that slides downward, and the orchestration goes from a big hit, and then it sort of fades. So it's a little bit uh, orgasmic in that sense, if that's not too vivid a descriptor. Uh, for everybody, but it's a great, great track. The next one uh, I wanted to share is the title track, Dirty Computer. And when I first heard this, I just put the album on. I didn't read anything about it or whatever when it, uh, she dropped it. Started listening to it, and I was like, wow, this sounds like the Beach Boys meets uh, Bon Iver. Was Bon Iver was, was exactly uh-huh. what uh, uh, occurred to me. And sure enough, uh, when I looked at the album credits featuring Brian Wilson, Brian Wilson, and so this is uh, this is Dirty Computer with actual Brian Wilson who participated in in performing and producing the track. Dirty computer, walking by. If you look closer, you'll recognize I'm not that special. slowly the bugs are in me And what a great synthesis there of not just like we were saying African American musical traditions, but Brian Wilson, of course, in his music wanted to do the ultimate American music and was drawing from the American folk strains that were Scottish and Irish and you know like Yiddish or which we have a whole episode about if you want to learn about Smile, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, and so here we have a fusion of uh, for you know an overbroad generalization, early black and white folk American musical traditions that fuse just beautifully into uh, that track in Dirty Computer. Yeah, it really covers all the bases. Uh, the last one I wanted to share real quick, just about a minute of this track, Pink, P-Y-N-K. It's a collaboration with Grimes. Uh, it's a really beautiful and uh, hopeful track. Um, I like pop tracks that manage to really generate a sense of scale. And this one really gets soaring. This is pink. So the variety of styles and sounds incorporated into a coherent whole is remarkable, whether you even like the album or not. I mean, uh, just uh, from a a sense of craft. Um, But I think it works just expressively so well. And her very personal narrative uh, that she presents, like I said, is timely. And I think it will resonate with a lot of folks. So uh, give it a shot. Dirty Computer, Janelle Monae. Anthony has the next track we're going to listen to. So this is a group with a, a weird name. <laughs> They're called The Internet. And whenever I... All of it? Just whenever I'm like, do you listen to The Internet? And they're like, what? <laughs> it's started... Parts of it. 
It started as an offshoot of Odd Future. So if you know Tyler, the creator, or that whole scene, they started there, but broke what off. What style of music is this? So the- it's uh, R&B, soul, kind of like neo-soul almost with, okay. with okay. like electronic influence. So it, it fits into a similar kind of thing, I think. Okay. Your typical er, mid-early 21st century multi-genre internet-based music yeah the album is called hive mind which i think is an awesome By title the internet <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh yeah yeah okay i gotta get points for that one <laughs> it's like that you remember that day that what was the reddit did the public piece of art with the pixels subreddit with pixels yeah everyone yeah. got to pick a pixel and yeah they carved out territory visually works of art and stuff yeah yeah that's one of the coolest things the internet has ever done <laughs> for sure to date to date they, they, they got a lot of things still to it's do it's a big place Okay, um, and the t- what was the track called? The track is called, according to what you told me, <laughs> the track you chose is "Come Over." Come over, that's the one. Yeah, the it's a great album. Like it's it's very consistent. So really, any of the tracks, if if you're into it, you'll be into all of it. And the it. one that is going to let us into their sound world here, yes, come over. That's really, really good. It's funky, right? Super charismatic and catchy. It's, yeah. it's lush and it's really rhythmic at the same time. Well, and it's interesting how it's, in some ways, it's kind of straightforward, you know, soul, sort of mid-tempo soul or funky soul, like maybe early 70s transitional soul. Yeah, they're not doing anything you weird. Know, it just sounds modern. It's And it's that the sounds themselves exactly mm-hmm. are, are are unexpected. And sometimes they're just like sort of shifts, spectral shifts away from what the sound would be if it were an acoustic instrument. They've done an electronic instrument that sounds similar, but not quite. It's electronic and or digital in a way. The other thing that struck me right away was their use of space literally three-dimensional sonic space placement in stereo space and front to back and stuff is really like alive and well thought out so there's a lot of depth to the sound yeah and listening to the album it's really hard to get a sense of like what the band is what instruments they have because there's a lot of variety in the in the soundscape this is music made to be listened to with headphones Mm -hmm. i i think like hence the name there the internet i mean you're going to be sitting at the computer with your headphones on probably is the whole thing yeah that's that's really I'm yeah, they're it. yeah. They have uh, the internet has a great sound. They had an album before this one called Ego Death that also is is really consistent. I would recommend checking out if you liked this one. So that's the internet. Check them out if you haven't heard of the internet. Uh, the next uh, new music that I wanted the music that that we like that I wanted to share is not new music. It's old new music. 
it's not new at all. You probably know it. You probably know it. It's by a pop artist uh, who became famous at a very Maybe young age. Maybe the pop artist. You, you may have heard of him. His name is Michael Jackson. But I was just, I had a, a Michael Jackson, went down a little Michael Jackson uh, rabbit hole a few weeks ago, was watching some of the videos and 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 uh, noticed something about his songwriting that I hadn't noticed before. And uh, it was just a... Um, it's a thing about his his voice, his compositional voice, is what we would say in the concert music world. But it's a, a something he does in almost all of his up tempo tracks, the ones that are really dance tunes. You mean his actual like physical voice? Uh, no, I mean his composite, like the way he writes songs. There's a thing he does in his songs that I notice. So here's mm-hmm. the thing, and I'll just play a few examples for you. I get easier than talking about it is showing it. So in his up tempo tracks, which are most often the ones that feature hooks. In his sort of medium tempo or his ballads, he doesn't uh, build those around hooks as often. But Michael Jackson uses his hooks in a consistent pattern. They're all in 4-4, so four beats you know, to a measure, to a group. And the hooks are spaced three beats apart. So if a hook starts on or accents beat two, the next time it happens will be on beat one of the next bar. So... Uh, uh, instead of four, the next beat two, like a regular kind of back so beat like accent a phasing, pattern. Phasing thing. Yeah, he does three beat groupings within four beat meters, basically. And so, if you think about beat it, like if your tempo is going dot 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 ba da dot ba da dot right so it's an uneven cycle on top of a regular pulse and so we'll play that this is i'll play a little bit of of beat it this is from the the intro and it's it's the hook you know the rhythm guitar part uh and even the accent on the the lick that the other guitar plays but it's the rhythm guitar talk we're talking about that thing So you you hear it, there's the thing and beat it, but if you listen to Smooth Criminal, he does it in Smooth Criminal too. That hook continues into the verse uh, as the rhythm guitar part underneath the melody. Yeah, he's really good at building whole tracks around his hooks. Exactly. And in Smooth Criminal, the any Are You Okay, that hook that's uh, in the bridge, it's on one beat one, then on beat four, and then it's a pickup to beat three. And you can feel how it it really shifts the feel of the meter, and it really helps the chorus to land, actually. It kind of builds a little musical momentum. So it's the Annie Are You Okay hook in Smooth Criminal, and it sounds like this. So when he gets into the chorus, he keeps the same emphasis, like the emphasis of the the tune in the chorus is on beat uh, one, beat four, and then beat three. And when you just put those two tracks together, it really, I think, shows how much he grew just from one album to the other. 
And I have always said that I think Bad is actually the ultimate Michael Jackson album in terms of him getting most of the creative impact on it because Quincy Jones had a huge part of Thriller, whereas Bad, he had almost total control over the project. And I think it really turned, like you said, his voice. It's I think it's most full on Bad. And it's not just a trick because like he does on Bad, on the tracks from Bad, he grows the hook into the chorus gesture. Like there's an organic growth compositionally that that wasn't there with the Quincy Jones collaborations. You're right. And when people talk about him in the studio, he just has all of these layers in his head when he starts on, it's on remarkable. the first yeah. track. It's fully composed in his, in his brain. If, it does make you wonder if he had formal training and that kind of fluency, what he all, maybe additionally could have done with more tools in his toolbox, so, so to speak. The last example I had is, uh, uh, is uh, Black or White, and it's this guitar lick, real famous, but it's on uh, beat two and then on beat one, just like in Beat It, in the four beat uh you know, metric grouping. So this is a uh, black or white, same uh, uh, process that he uses in those other tracks. And I don't know what it is about that, that going on one, two, three, four, one, two, he had a three and one, he had a two. They just know exactly, he knows exactly where you need to get it to make your body want to move to it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the last, I want to play one more snippet before we hand back, I hand back off to you to talk about Anderson Pock. It's uh, an earlier track. We can jump back and it's don't stop till you get enough. And it's just this groove, man. It's not part of that pattern I was talking about. It was just on my Michael Jackson playlist. We got one track from each album now. And and man, this groove, especially the guitar, just about 20 seconds of this. Uh, and then we'll go back to more present day. Uh, this is Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. That's a groove. That's a groove. Yeah, that's really him, like, peak disco. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, okay, so you have uh, uh, an artist for us, Anderson Pock. Yes, Anderson Pock. I love Anderson Pock. He is also in the same little, like, genre collaborating type that I think Janelle Monet and the internet are. And he is a little heavier on the rap and the hip hop. And he was on the Black Panther soundtrack. He is really blowing up right now. And it's like the other ones, such a, like it's, like, it's like a history lesson, the way that they put their music together and how they're able to like just tweak the styles in a way that like it's clear they grew up with it and they know how to like make it modern. Well, in that sense, it's roots music, right? Because you can hear, it's not just about the original style, but you can clearly hear its roots in the music yeah, it's like, itself. It's like D'Angelo. He yeah, does the same thing. Yeah. Except <laughs> the whole universe is in a D'Angelo track. Ooh, we could do a whole episode on him. Anyway. Yeah, he's an artist. If he puts out an album every 15 years, I'll be okay with it. It's okay. Yeah, it takes that long to sort of digest him. 
Uh, the Anderson Pock track that you wanted to play is Till It's Over. Till It's Over. We stayed up all night watching a comedy show. That age whiskey and hydro. Good Lord, what a nice conversation. I'm too flawed to get anywhere safely. You know I talk about you highly. I'm fascinated for the time being. We can laugh until the morning. Or we can dance in the hallway. Only one more night in Los Angeles. I really thought that I can handle it. But the funny thing is, I was holding back tears. I didn't think this day would happen. I'd give all this up for a chance at it. You would have thought I'd be the man for this. That track is more futuristic, I think, than than some of his other stuff, but also like really good. That was fantastic. It's what amazes me about these artists that you keep bringing in are how effortlessly they blend 30, 40 years worth of sounds. And it sounds authentic. Like they're the the new and the old are making something, you know, that it that is that is in the stream of stylistic tradition. Like they're incorporating some radically new instruments and ability to manipulate musical sound with the roots music that they're incorporating with. It's it's amazing. That's yeah, I'm just seconding. Your I think point. it's really great that this is like the internet working in a way that the all music is just in the now right now like all of the past stuff we can have total access to so this is what we should expect and it's all kind of equally easy to reach out and grab because you don't have to live in a city that has a good record store with someone who is able to get good inventory so you find that album that is whatever yeah, and you don't, you have access to all of the albums, and all so of the albums, you can yeah. you can map how the, how the genres change and influence each other just by reading Wikipedia articles now and reading the credits on an album. Like I love this album. Who produced this? Who worked on this album? And then you can go find their other work, and you know, and it's it's yeah yeah. It, and what's though then what they're doing that kind of knocked me out listening to especially this Anderson Pock track is how um, seamlessly and effort, effortlessly they are weaving it into a new kind of sound for for anderson pock the first thing i thought when i heard it is this is now where hip-hop is thanks to to kendrick really i think pushing the pushing the bar really high in terms of combining all these different styles and now if you want to do interesting rap at all you have to almost respond to that well and to me the last few years i've been so into because some of the episodes we've done on the podcast and but some of just research i've been doing because of classes i've been teaching or my own hobby interest as a musician uh learning in much much greater detail uh american popular music of the 60s and 70s and how which was such a white hot period in terms of stylistic fusion and growth. And uh, as we have documented in many episodes. And it impacted the culture so heavily. So heavily. In fact, the next episode we're going to record is finally the third installment of our history of punk, which runs through that episode. But uh, relevant to, to your point that hip hop, I feel like these artists are being more honest about where hip hop came from and what it was when it started. It did come from the same roots 
that funk came out of, even though funk is one of its main roots, soul, having a neo-soul sort of vocal approach in a hip-hop context, to me sounds like rediscovering an authenticity maybe that had been lost, because that's where, especially that's where with it the came funk, from. Especially the with the funk 70s. stuff, yeah, because you had James Brown building so many of the the samples being built so heavily on James Brown music, and now the, the funk aspect is really coming through heavily. Well, and so many samples that that early hip hop uh, built, uh, you know, beats out of, break beats out of, were from like rock gospel recordings. I mean, the Amen Brother drum break is uh, uh, along with the uh, Apache uh, rock, you know, they, Apache from Bondo those, Rock. Those it, tracks had the feel. Yeah, and and so there, there's a literal connection because it's you know recorded music made from in some ways other recorded music it's not just stylistic yeah and we talked about that in the plunder phonics episode uh uh, a couple episodes ago and stuff but but it's it's that they are not via sampling or layering or or any of those techniques and that's what kendrick really brought the actual instruments jazz jazz skills synthesizing it in a compositional sense yes yeah uh-huh. yeah so that it's performed and it's its own thing it has an improvisational sense yeah. and while feel the to roots it. are showing and and the 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 inspiration and the 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 stylistic uh traditions that it's pulling from are obvious i mean it's some kind of you know neo soul uh hip-hop fun uh, melange but um it it it's its own thing and it's really cool and beautiful. I love the way too they make electronic sounds beautiful in a soulful way. That's not that's no mean feat. Yeah, uh-huh. And I think that's you think about what Prince was doing in the eighties, it makes sense that we would now be taking these synthesizers and tooling them up to the next level of what can we can we do with these things well and we're human beings if we find an instrument we like we're going to figure out how to make it expressive because that's what we one of the big things we do with music and figure out how to push it forward yeah exactly like, incrementally a little bit at a time <laughs> yep oh terrific thanks for that uh the next uh bit that uh the music we like it's actually do we want to mention this one i have my notes on this one it was an album i listened to and it was Sort of uh, violates our prime directive here on the Loose Filter Podcast, which is where we we like liking things, uh, uh, if we haven't mentioned this uh, in a while. And we tend to talk about things that we like rather than being critical or hating on things that, that we don't because there's so much stuff now it's peak stuff it's, it's peak too much good stuff. stuff to too much good deal stuff. with bad stuff we, we we don't have time to talk about all the stuff we like uh so we usually don't but this one was notable to me because i was a little excited because you know uh i'm middle-aged and so <laughs> when an artist tries to keep doing his thing and his or her thing and 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 put it out there um uh i am hopeful that uh it'll be something that i'll enjoy and this artist uh didn't and it's Eminem's album Kamikaze, which I thought was so I gave up on Eminem and after Encore. Yeah, I did too. And it should have been, well, we've talked about this before, but this was something that when uh, uh, his second album came out, the Marshall Mathers LP, uh-huh. it was clear that there was this uh, trilogy of subject matter. the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, that it was the Empire Strike Back because there were three facets to what he was doing, right? There was his his onstage persona, Eminem, the real person, Marshall Mathers, and then this- the Slim Shady was the first Slim one. Slim Shady, yeah. and that was the one he led with. He, he take the layers off of his persona one at a time. Right, and so when Marshall Mathers came out, I was talking, I was in- grad school to my master's degree so i'm talking to all these classical musicians about this album they're like what the only ones who were hip to it were the 
composition students. They were the ones who were fun to talk to about this. But it was, I said, the next album's got to be like the Eminem, uh, you know, experience or something because it's that's the part he had talked to about. synthesize his his past and his present. Exactly, and the Eminem part of his persona, mm-hmm. the yeah. you know the artist that he puts forth. Uh, and it was sure enough, it was the Eminem show, and it was okay. And it led up to lose yourself and <laughs> Eight Mile. And when the fourth album was encore, I thought, oh no, he's that's because he needed he needed a shift. He needed something else to talk about. He needed a new way to put himself forward as an artist. I think because he'd completed an arc. Yeah, for someone whose lyrics were so provocative and so forward thinking, he. He just can't, you can't just keep doing that same thing. Like, he needs to try something totally different. The level of skill is much higher than and the he, level and of he substance. And he still raps really well. Like oh, his, the level of skill The way he combines words and rhymes is is really just incredible. And that's the biggest reason I was excited about this album. And also, in time when he hadn't been producing too much work, uh, hopefully, you know, he had grown up as a person. And the dog, I want to mention that the dogs are registering their opinion about Kamikaze too. They were real underwhelmed. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of skill, but no, no growth. And, and, and so, yeah. And all of his, a lot of his new tracks fall into really bad modern pop cliches and how they like the hooks they go after. And yeah, that's ironic. I know. Right. (laughs) For someone who talked about Britney Spears and all that. Oh yeah. We'll just let, no, we don't even have to connect those dots. I think for our listeners there, you all are smart people. You know why that's hugely hilariously ironic. Just be aware kids when you're recording albums in your twenties, how much you just bash on people for falling in any kind of popular cliche. Eminem as old dad is just a really weird thing (laughs) to exist. I was hopefully he'd be more self-aware in middle age, but it's it's uh, tough to be. You know, he, he, every now and then there's. I think if you take like his last four albums, there's a good album among all of it. He's got a couple <laughs> good tracks every now and then. And like he, you can tell that he does have some really deep things to say, and it, it peeks through every now and then. So Marshall, if you're listening, uh, try harder, hone more, <laughs> throw more out. Uh, so I, a lot of composers I've read, you know, writings. I've talked to a lot of composers. We have some interviews on the archive in the archive. Uh, to a person, they've all said when I've asked them about it that some of the best decisions they've ever made creatively is what they threw away, what they didn't keep. And Sibelius burn a giant pile. Well, of music. that was probably <laughs> depression and alcoholism more than anything else. But yeah, if it if it doesn't meet the artist standard, it's not going to go out. Uh, and so it's important that your own filter in that sense is not loose. Uh, but shifting back on topic and a little bit out of the stream of what we've been talking about, but, but given the, the, the Brian Wilson feature on the, the track, uh, that I mentioned from, uh, uh, the (laughs) Janelle Monet, the Janelle Monet album. Thank you. Uh, dirty computer, the title track, uh, punch brothers. We've talked about them before on the podcast. Ow. Yeah, not not an obscure band, but a bluegrass, uh, the vanguard of whatever neo-bluegrass thingy is. Yeah, been if you don't care about bluegrass, I feel like you wouldn't encounter them. But if you are into bluegrass, they're the first band you would find. And it occurs to me that we need to talk about the, uh, there is a roots revival within that genre by African-American musicians who have kind of been forgotten in the early parts of that tradition. 
Well, yeah, because uh, blues and country were much more interlinked than we absolutely. think. Absolutely. Well, and the banjo is an African instrument. Most folks don't know that. It's actually one of the only, if not the only, physical artifact to survive that that passage across the Atlantic in the slave trade. And uh, it was so tainted by, um, you know, uh, racial uh, stereotype and 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 parody and and awful. Uh, horrible racial tropes that were in the popular entertainment at the turn of the 20th century that African-American musicians kind of left the banjo behind. And <laughs> like, they came, well, it, it was that thing from deliverance. Yeah. They had to just let it go. Uh, and so they picked up the guitar and, and, you know, by the late twenties, early thirties, that's the center uh, instrument for the blues and we're sort of off to the races. But, um, uh, so we will talk about that a little bit. There's bands like the Carolina Chocolate Drops and stuff that we'll have to maybe dive into on another episode. But Punch Brothers, in this blues, tra- blues, uh, sorry, blue grass tradition, uh, it's a quintet of really virtuosic musicians. Chris Thiele is their lead on mandolin. He's a virtuoso. He's also host now of uh, Prairie Home Companion. I forget this. Uh, when I talk about their music to people, that that radio show probably has a wider yeah, audience. He's been doing NPR does. stuff for a while, so it's it made sense. But they continue to amaze, and this album really shows compositional growth. And uh, it's just—I mean, even if you're not into the style, even he, if you don't like it, it's so. All five of the the guys in the band are so good. But the first track I wanted to play you of about 45 seconds or so, three dots and a dash. And uh, there are no lyrics in this track, and the title just describes the main motive that you hear this bum, 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 the three dots and a dash that they develop in different ways. But it's a subtle and and uh, a richly detailed tapestry of sound in this piece. So this is uh, from Three Dots. This is their album. I'm sorry, I didn't say this part. All Ashore that came out a couple months ago, their most recent release a month or so ago. This is the track uh, Three Dots and a Dash, Punch Brothers. love about the fullness of that sound is it really is almost like a string quartet and how the different instruments can interplay with each other and it's just yeah their their chops are incredible and they really do play that's a great uh comparison they do play like a great string quartet does and you see them live they're very much looking at each other and they're listening deeply to one another and they play um i mean the way that they create these tracks they're so beautifully composed but it could only be made by a group that plays that well together they could only even think of those ideas if they could execute them yeah as well it feels as they like do. they would just get in a room and, and jam that the uh, second track i wanted to share from all ashore by the punch brothers is called just look at this mess and there's this idea about a minute into the track that turns into something really unexpected at about the same point four minutes into the track so i'll play you the the thing at about a minute or so into the track uh, and then the next clip is what it turns into. It's very unexpected. Just look at these grown ass men up a beck and call. 
wherever we go God helps those who help themselves As I lie like the colors of the rainbow As I cheat like the daisies in the And that turns into... So development in a symphonic sense. You don't often hear that in a song. Uh, yeah. I love that. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Joanna Newsom. It reminds me a little bit of Glenn Hansard. The really folky, but also just really well composed and a lot going on. The last one is just a little uh, I wanted to share. The last uh, clip I wanted to share with you is called Jungle Bird. It's about 30 seconds from this track just to show the... Uh, the characteristic virtuosity of the Punch Brothers is in effect. That's the type of track that you could play for someone who thinks they don't like that kind of music, and they would be like, uh, I like that, though. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. All Ashore is the album, Punch Brothers. The last uh, artist we have to share with you, Anthony, you wanted to talk about Kamasi Washington. Kamasi Washington. Kamasi. Kamasi, Kamasi. Kamasi Washington is... Kamasi. Kamasi. <laughs> I was being lazy about that. I should know better. Let's start, let's start that over. I think Kamasi Washington is probably the most interesting jazz artist, like, period, right now. That's a bold statement. Yeah, well, not really, because there hasn't been anyone interesting in jazz for a couple decades. <laughs> so, but I think he really is very, very deep in the tradition in the sense that you can listen to his music and immediately think of, you know, John Coltrane or something like that. But he has played with Kendrick Lamar. He's also integrated with all this other stuff that we've been listening to. But this is one of his really straight jazz tracks. This is Fist of Fury.
the car is a little ridiculous, but well, it's, it's not just Afro Future. It's seventy. It's nineteen seventy. It's very Marvin Gaye. Like what's going on? I think has that very similar vocal style to it. That is really actually pretty unique and cool. So later in the track, you wanted to skip. Yeah, so that's that's the head, and then here's some of Kamasi's solo, because as a jazz artist, there's, you know, a whole solo part of the track that's really important. It's it's really great to have someone who is very authentically jazz be in the mainstream spotlight almost. He is playing Coachella and festivals and stuff like that. So he has a, a pretty massive following relative to almost any other jazz artist working right now. So that's really cool because it's very much fallen out of the culture over the last couple of decades and become somewhat of a museum fossilized type way that we think about as an art form and it's can still be alive it's interesting to me that it's not so much like fusion as it is using jazz as the bones or the uh frame or the scaffolding that he builds that music on right i mean it's obviously jazz music but there's so much else laid on top of that foundation but it's not the elements he lays on top of it he doesn't try to like fuse them he doesn't try to make them jazz like they just they they commingle with the jazz foundation. If that does that make sense? Totally. He really gets how to just do uh, a jazz style without feeling like it's we're taking this old track. We're trying to play it like this. It's just that's their language. That's what they grew up listening to, and they have a very innate sense of how to have that kind of jazzy feel that you can't quite put your finger on. And it's their harmonic language and yeah, what their tech, mm-hmm. their technique, their tools, their toolbox is full of that. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's really, it's really cool the way that they just embrace the other influences and, and styles and sounds that are making up it, it just even this track specifically. And it just sort of uh, is, you know, next to the jazz elements. It, it, it They have a lot of that, kind of latin-y type feel but not quite that i really like where it's not it's not really swing but it's still not super straight kind of latin so it has a interesting kind of half like different groove to it they they do it on a lot of their tracks and they have some where they have two drummers playing which is really interesting well that's a tradition in funk right you always have at least two drummers we should, we should actually play that track if if, if uh you know uh, there's a drum set player and a, mm-hmm. and, a and a percussionist This is from an album in 2017 called Harmony of Difference. It's the last track called Truth. Oh, 
that one has two drummers on it, which is really interesting. The way they layer all of the rhythms, it's it's really cool. Uh, Kabasi Washington, yeah. So that's it for this episode. I think we did manage to find a theme that uh, sort of an idea that binds all this really eclectic playlist yeah, together. Punch Brothers. <laughs> uh, Punch Brothers even fits though because it's they're contemporary artists that are embracing the roots of the various roots of their stylistic tradition and that's true, in yeah. a genuine way compositionally furthering, synthesizing and then furthering it, mm-hmm. you know, to create something new. Because I wouldn't call even that bluegrass. Uh, it's it's something more even just the five of them all acoustic on the traditional instruments. Uh, so So maybe that'll be the idea that we were unconsciously, subconsciously driving our choices here for this episode. But uh, that's all for more music we like. Next week, we will have a new episode up. It will be The History of Punk Part 3. You can find us online at loosefilter.com or at SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash loosefilter. New episodes weekly. See you soon.